third time, God said, for you to be delivered. And here comes Moses. God's preparing Moses. He sends Moses to Pharaoh. And he says, Moses, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. But to show that I am God. We are familiar with the ten plagues, right? That God shows up and shows that he is the one living, true God. Culminating in the tenth plague. The big one. And this is where I'm going to pick up in Exodus chapter 12. Pay attention here, because what, is, what I'm going to read has real important significance to this moment in history when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, okay? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Hold on a second right here. Do you hear that? Something so big is about to happen. That God is changing everything. Their whole calendar is changing. They're going to look at their life and their identity completely different from this moment on. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for the household. And as we fast forward back to the triumphal entry, just a few days before the Passover is to begin, the lamb is being prepared. Verse 7. Then they shall take, or verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of see a theme here in scripture. The connection of there being a sacrifice, of there being blood to salvation. We see it even all the way back in the very first chapters of Genesis when Adam and Eve sin and they hide themselves in shame. And what God does is he kills an animal and takes the animal's skin and covers their shame. He goes on. Next, next verse, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations, as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And we see that they have kept that throughout their history. Up through the time of Jesus, they are observing what is called Passover. The time that the lamb that they remembered, where they were delivered from Egypt, and the lamb, the blood on their doorposts, God passed over. So from there, finally, Pharaoh relented. He said, get out of here. And, and the Israelites left, and they, they got to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changed his mind, and they had their backs up against the, the waters, and God parted the sea. They got through. Pharaoh 
followed, the seas came in, and the army was destroyed. Israel was saved. They find themselves at Mount Sinai. God himself, in his glory, shows up. He reaffirms a covenant with them and says, you are my people. I am your God. This time, he gives them a lot more clearer set of laws. He says, I am planning to have my presence with you. Here are some things about my tabernacle. Here are some laws about how you're going to live in community with me. And they go from there, and the rest of the story is basically saying, hey, here's Israel following God. Then they don't. Here, then they do, and then they don't. And then they do, and then they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they don't. <laughs> we get to the point when Solomon, king of Israel, dies. Israel becomes two different nations. The northern kingdom that's called Israel, the southern kingdom that's called Judah. The northern kingdom and all of their kings are all despicable. They forget God. They, they, they blaspheme God. And God says, in his law, he has stated, hey, there are blessings and there are curses. You follow my law, you'll have all these amazing blessings. But if you don't, there's judgments. And so he set in order the judgments that raised up the kingdom of Assyria to come and destroy that northern kingdom. Judah, on the southern side, had some good kings, but most of them were terrible, just the same as the northern kingdom, forgetting who God was. And God raised up another nation, Babylon, to come and destroy them. Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, the holy temple that where God was supposed to live. Took a large portion of the population from Judah, from Israel, back to Babylon in exile. And all the while, God still was present. He had his prophets prophesy, hey, here are these judgments coming, but God will not forget you. He will restore to you your place. He will bring you back like a mother hen. And he did. And they came back. We, we see here with Jeremiah and Isaiah and Nehemiah and Ezra, the people of Israel coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they rebuild the city. They rebuild the temple. And they instill the law again. But they're no longer an autonomous nation. Okay? By some miraculous way, God provided them that return and the rebuilding of their life. But now we have on the world stage, we have Alexander the Great coming through and wiping through all of the known world and building this great empire. That breaks up into four major factions and divisions, all seeking for control and power of the area. Then as we go on, this 400-year period between when the, the, the Israelites came back and to the time that Jesus arrived, the Roman Empire arises. And there's this, this sense of, God, where are you? There's these prophecies, not just of their return from the exile, but of a new prophet, of a man of God that would come and reinstitute and bring the kingdom of God to them. Who was this king? They were looking for it. In the midst of all of these nations, just vying for power, they were on the edge of a knife. Any moment they felt that they would be done forever and the temple would be destroyed again. And here comes Jesus. And he turned everything on its head. Salvation wasn't just coming to Israel. 
It wasn't about the law. It's about your heart. The law points us towards the wickedness of our hearts. They saw the blind see, the lame walk, the hungry were fed, the dead are raised to life. Lazarus, oh my goodness. And, you know, when that happened, Jesus let that sink in. He took his good old time. He wanted people to know, this guy isn't partially dead, almost dead. This guy was dead. He was staying, that's right. He was, he was covered up, he was buried, and he, when Jesus showed up, he commanded him and said, arise and come out from the grave. And he did. There were so many people around, okay? There were so many people around. This was getting close to the time of Passover. It wasn't too far from the time when Jesus was coming through his triumphal entry. And hundreds of thousands of people during the time of Passover, from around the known world that were Jews, would pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. And so there were people coming. They knew about this prophecy. And they were looking for it. And they heard the news. And they said, what? The dead are raised? What is going on? And word spread like wildfire. People were looking with expectation. Something big was about to happen. And we get to Luke chapter 19, verse 11. He says, as they, the people, heard these things, then he proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, about to enter the city. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. People thought the kingdom of heaven was going to come at once, like really sh in short order. Jesus knew this, and even just a couple days before, he, in Luke chapter 18, says to his disciples, he's trying to like put on the brakes a little bit. And he says this over and over, but his disciples at the time were just a little dense. He says, and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from him, and they did not grasp what was said. We get to John 12, six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. This is the point where Mary puts perfume and wipes the perfume over Jesus' Jesus's feet, and, and Judas is like, hey, whoa, 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 hold on there. Let's, let's sell that and give that money to the poor. And Jesus is like, well, no. Poor will always be with you, but I'm only going to be with you for a short time. She is preparing me. He is entering the, the, the Paschal Lamb, as they say, that is to be identified before the sacrifice for Passover. Here is Jesus being prepared. When the large crowd of the Jews learn, remember, hundreds of thousands of people are coming to Jerusalem, heard of the Jews, or when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death too as well. Because on account of him, many 
Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Not only was it the, the, the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing, but this alive person that was dead and word was spreading. Not, and, and as he was drawn near in Luke 19, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John says the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna means save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That's a prophecy we're going to get to in a moment. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the, de the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see what you were gaining? Nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The march of history was coming to a climax. The story of the Israelites was coming to a crescendo. Judgments and prophecies that had been given ages before were coming to a reality. The kingdom that God had promised was at hand, and everyone sensed it. Chapter 6 to understand a little bit of this. They wanted food. 
They wanted their stomachs filled. Read with me from John chapter 6. I'm going to read some excerpts from there. Starting verse 2, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the, on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. This was a previous year, okay? It wasn't his time yet to go to Jerusalem. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So then they look, and there's a boy who has five loaves and two fish. There's 5,000 plus people. And Jesus takes those five loaves and two fish and multiplies it and feeds everyone. So much so that there were leftovers. And when, and starting in verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They, they knew, they were looking for this. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew against the mountain by himself. He sent his disciples across the sea. In the middle of the night, he walks across the water and joins them. The, the people there that were left on the other side that were trying that were going to force him to be king looks around and says, where is he? So they went to go look for him. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, now, now follow with me here, because this is important. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said, oh, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what? Okay, this is interesting what they say. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our, wait a second. Didn't they just see him do this? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're getting to something, right? They're trying to manipulate him to say, wink, wink. Oh, yeah, can you do it again? Oh, yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, show me you can do it again. Jesus obviously doesn't bite on that. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Boom, there it is. Give us this bread always. They wanted their stomachs filled. Maybe they were always hungry. Maybe they were just living a hungry life. Maybe they saw a financial opportunity with the excess. I don't know. But their motivations, Jesus unraveled real quick here. Jesus said to, him, said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus answered them, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one might eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? <laughs> After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. You know, it's not a bad thing in and of itself to want your stomach to be filled, right? doesn't want to be taken care of physically every day. It's that when they approached God himself, they demanded that they do what they wanted right now. And they were going to try to manipulate him to get it. They weren't willing to come to him and listen and understand and follow him and submit their lives to his timing. They wanted food. He gave them his flesh and blood. Two, they wanted a king to deliver them from their foreign oppressors. And we see some prophecies back in the time of the exile in Daniel. We see Zechariah in Daniel 7.13. They were aware of these prophecies, okay? That there would be a deliverer coming on the clouds to do war against the nations. Daniel 7.13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Amen. In Zechariah 14.3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one with his and his name one. That is the kind of king that they were looking for. But there was another prophecy that they really didn't understand. The prophecies in Daniel and Zechariah spoke of a conquering king that would go to war against the nations. This is the king they wanted, and they wanted it now. But in Zechariah 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he shall speak peace to the nations. There's a peaceful king and there's a warrior king. What they didn't understand is that is the same person at different times. And when Jesus was coming, he was speaking peace to the nations. They wanted a king to, to deliver them from their foreign oppressors. Instead, he offered them to be born again and be free forever. They wanted a crown. A kingdom that they could extend their power out to the nations. We read in Isaiah 9. You may recognize this. For to us a child is born, to 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Peace, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. They wanted a crown, but instead he had a cross that would extend his salvation out to the nations. They wanted a conquering king as a model. He gave them a suffering servant as their model. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet he Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But that's not what they They had a very specific expectation and demand of the Savior that they wanted, the King that they wanted. And that is why they rejected He didn't fit their demands. What does this have to do with us today? So, even today, we see people, right? Like in John chapter 6, people just plain out reject Jesus. It's just too hard sometimes for people to hear what Jesus says and to accept it. And they say, no. Maybe they might say, okay, he may have existed, but you know, he was a good, a good man. People just flat out reject it, like they did in, in John. People accept a false Jesus. They treat him as an idol, just another good luck charm or God to put on their shelf with the others, sometimes literally. People accept a false Jesus, a kind of idol in their mind, and when this Jesus that's in their mind doesn't live up to their expectations and demands, they, they flee Christianity for something else that will work for them. This is what the crowds on Palm Sunday did. They had this expectation all set up. When he didn't deliver, they fled. Then you have an example of the disciples. People who, when confronted with the real Jesus, reflect on what he is telling them and asking, putting everything behind and following him with no demands, but waiting in hopeful expectation based on his promise of resurrection and eternal life. So where Is he your good luck charm, Jesus? Like a rabbit's foot, or a horseshoe, or wearing of a crucifix? Bring him out when you need something good to happen. Is he your Santa Claus, Jesus? I say I accept him so that I can be blessed. I will get things. My situation will get better. 
get a job I need, things I want, relationships I want? Is he your foxhole Jesus? Save me from this situation and I'll follow you. Is he your American dream Jesus? I'll follow Jesus because I want to succeed in life. I want a good family, living in a house with a picket fence, with a good job, with no suffering. If I don't have this, it's because I've sinned and done something wrong. Is he your white middle class Republican Jesus? Similar to the American dream Jesus, but with a superiority tied to race and nation. If this is challenged, you challenge their religion. Is he your one of many prophets Jesus? But he's not the one who has the power I need. Is he the baby Jesus, Jesus, weak and powerless? Mary is the one who brought him into the world. Is he an impotent Jesus, dead on the cross? No power available now, because he's dead. Is he your safety, Jesus? He will keep me safe, keep my family safe. The capitalistic Jesus, he will give me financial safety. The good health Jesus, he will bless you with good health, me and my family. Is he your prosperity Jesus? The go to church on Sunday Jesus? The deliverer Jesus, but not my Lord kind of Jesus. I want to be delivered from my situation, but not give him my life. Is he your positive energy, Jesus? I just want to feel good, and when I don't, Jesus isn't working. Is he your mystical karma, Jesus? When things have gone bad, I need to do something. Go to church, get baptized. Pastor, pray for me. Do something good. The here and now, Jesus, a means to an end. Food, safety, job, as long as I go to church and pray, he's a means to my end. Yeah. Who is the real suffering servant, the king of peace, the conqueror of death. He is not a means to your ends. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the yes. beginning and the end.
if you see yourself in one of those areas, I want to ask you, you know, this morning, make a decision. Just pray to God. Talk to Him. Repent of what those false beliefs might be. Ask Him questions. He's big enough. He can answer those. Come this morning, pour your heart out to God. You know, I was thinking of this moment as I was preparing for this, and oftentimes at this moment, you know, when you have a band, the music's going to strike up, and, and there's an invitation, and you want people to come forward, and that's not here. <laughs> and that's okay, but you know what? God may be stirring something in your heart right now. And I want to encourage you. You are welcome to come forward and pray. We'll have somebody here. Tony will put his arms around you. Nate will put his arm around you. They won't say anything. They're just going to be there to support. And you just pour your heart out to Maybe it's just in your heart and in your mind. God can hear you. He can see the innermost parts of your heart. Maybe you just want to verbalize it out loud and get it out. If you are sensing that God is, is asking you to make, take a step of faith and come forward, do that this morning. We're going to get into a time here where we, where we take communion. And there's going to be an opportunity as, as uh, our singers are up here singing to go to the side. Or come forward, even now, come forward. But I ask you to don't leave this morning until you respond to that call that Jesus is putting on your heart. Bobby. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life, the Lamb of God. You are our forgiveness of sins. You came for us. We thank you, God. We bow our hearts before you. We recognize your kingship in our life and in our world. We pray this in your name. Amen. On that night when Jesus was with his closest friends, and they shared that meal together. He took the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. A sign of a new cup, a new kingdom that he was saying, I'm here to bring. I'm here to offer. And for those of us who know Jesus, we live in that kingdom. In a sense today, we are living in between two worlds. We are living in this world that we are in with all of the things that we experience through that. But we also know that one day we will live in a new world, in a new reality as new people with Jesus Christ. That his body broken for us, that his blood shed for us makes possible.